Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up First uh, Peter. This is part eight. We're going to finish all of chapter five today. And uh, how you guys been enjoying uh, this book of First Peter so far? Has it been helpful? You know a little bit more than you knew before. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, in the final part of this letter, Peter's going to kind of, uh, as he's wrapping things up, he's going to address three specific groups of people. First, he's going to address the elders. And what he means by that is, is, is not necessarily old people, but the people that are leaders in the church, the elders, the, 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 the overseers, as they would be referred to elsewhere. Did you guys know that there's only actually uh, technically three levels or three positions that are biblically mentioned in the church? There's only three. There are the elders and overseer, or overseers, depending on how it's translated. They say elders and overseers. Then there's the deacons. And then there's the people that go to church. That's really the only three that are mentioned, and we'll go through that now. And you can, you can actually read about them in, in chapter, or 1 Timothy chapter 3. And like I said, the first is the overseer. These are the, these are the elders. These are the leaders in the church. These are going to be your, your pastors, your evangelists, your apostles. These are the ones that are, 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 are being designated as leaders in, in the church and the local congregations. The second that they mention is the deacon. And uh, I know in, in, in uh, other places you've probably heard is uh, deacons are, are kind of given a position of leadership as well. But if you look in the, the New Testament model, the, the leaders of the church were the elders. And the deacons were, were simply servants. They were, they were ministers in the church. The, the word deacon actually comes from the Greek word diakonos. And uh, the strong dictionary says this is about it. It says it's probably from an obsolete diako, which means to run errands. To run on errands. That's what a deacon is. And they're, they're a servant. They're a minister in the church. So any of you guys that are helping out, like Matt back there running the soundboard, he's a deacon. He's back there serving. Anybody that's in a serving position, then you're being a deacon. So you have your leaders. You have your, your deacons, which are just, like I said, the, uh, the servants. And then finally, the, the, the last one would be the flock or the, the members of the church. So those are really the only three uh, levels in the church that's mentioned but the truth is is that we should all be at least deacons there should be no just plain members of the church you should either be a deacon or an elder in the church you should be striving to serve matter of fact my first message in january is going to be about serving in the church and we're going to look at, one, the biblical importance of the, of the serving in the church. We're going to take a look at the truth is, is that God has designed you for something. You have a purpose. You have a reason for being here. And it's not to warm the seat up that you're sitting in right now. I'm thankful that you're here, but God wants to do more with you. Amen. He wants to, to use you to make an impact, to make a difference. So we're going we're gonna to talk about some of the needs that we have in the church. We're going to talk about the biblical importance of being a servant in the church. And then we're going to have an opportunity. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to put a list together. These are the areas that we have needs. And I, I want to make it available to anybody that, that wants to help out to be a part of what we're doing. Because the truth is, is that um, there's... Uh, a much fewer amount of people doing the majority of the work. And really, we all should be being, uh, having a part in that. You know, so that everybody's not, the people that are working, they're not working every Sunday. Because sometimes it's nice to just be out to, to, to worship and to, to listen and to receive. And then, then maybe the next Sunday is when you're we're working and being a servant. But to start, Peter is going to begin addressing the elders of the church. How many know that the church needs strong leaders? The church need so so Peter's addressing that. He says, Listen, guys, if you're a leader, if you're an elder in the church, we got some things that I want I want to talk about because uh, the truth is, is that if you think about the context of this letter, what is he saying? That we're all gonna face tr fiery trials, we're gonna face persecution. If the church is gonna come under judgment of the of, of this of this world, if it's gonna come under fiery trials, we need strong leaders because without strong leaders, then then the whole thing crumbles, it falls apart. So Peter's going to take some time and really encourage the leaders of the church, the, the ones that are, that are in those positions, to lead faithfully, to, to lead in a godly manner, and to not get wrapped up in things that are going to cause things to, as soon as the times get tough, that you're going to run away. Because the reality is, as leaders in the church, we have a choice to make. When times get rough, we have Two, two things that, w that we can do. One, we can demonstrate that we're actually called to where we're at and we stick it out. We, 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 we push through because we know God is faithful. Or we can run, turn the other way and run 
And all we demonstrate is that we weren't called, we were just hired. And there is a difference. And then next, he's going to have a quick message to the, to the young people in the church. And this is one of their favorite messages. I, I know they love to hear what Peter is going to say. It's their favorite. So you guys, young people, just wait in anticipation. You're going to love it, I promise. And then finally, he addresses the entirety of the church. And he's going to tell them, in some ways, he kind of reiterates the entire letter. He wraps it up and reiterates it at the end. And he reminds us again, this will be the third time that he says that we need to be watchful and sober-minded. Must be pretty important when he tells us this that many times. He says we need to be watchful and sober-minded and be aware of what the enemy is trying to do. How many know that you guys should be aware that there's an enemy out to get you that is prowling around like a lion waiting to devour you? You need to be aware of that, see it coming so you can stand against it. We're not unaware of those schemes. And when the enemy comes against you, don't be surprised. And on a side note, everything coming against you is not the devil. He does, he's only one, one being. He doesn't have a chance to be everywhere all the time like God is. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. But nonetheless, him and his, 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 his demons are out looking to, to attack you. And we need to be prepared to stand against that. Because we're to resist him. And then Peter wraps it up and says, you know what though, you're going to go through some times. Don't be surprised at the trials that come against you. And while you have suffered for just a little while, then God's going to swoop in and make things work out. God's going to strengthen you and he's going to establish you. Amen. How many know that's good news? And the Bible says that if, if he is for us, who can be against us? That's good news to know that no matter what you're going through, it doesn't mean you're not going to go through stuff because you are. But it means that he's got your back the entire time. And when God got your back, really, what can happen? You're going to make it through, amen? So let's go ahead and get started. 1 Peter 5, verse 1, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So like I said, Peter starts this chapter out um, with his exhortation of the elders. Anybody know what exhortation means? It just means to, to, to urge strongly, to appeal strongly. And basically, Peter's saying, listen guys, this is important. What I'm about to tell you, it's not just something, uh, 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 you know, just on the, on the side. This is important. I urge you to listen and do what I'm about to tell you. And I, I love how Peter doesn't come at it heavy-handed. How many know that Peter's an apostle? He has some authority in the church. He could say it, and it would need to be obeyed i mean that that's the authority that's been given to him in christ as they're building the church he could just instruct them that they have to do these things but as a good leader and peter was a good leader he doesn't come across as as heavy-handed or over overbearing instead he says i appeal to you as a fellow elder you remember what i said in the beginning there's really only three positions in the church there's elder deacon and member and 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 he's an apostle which means he has a different role, he has different responsibilities, he has different authority, but he says, I'm still just an elder like you. And he says, I appeal to you guys. And then he reminds them that, that he was there with Christ as I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And this is an interesting thing because it probably could be argued that Peter wasn't actually a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Because you remember, as soon as things went down, Peter split. He ran the other way. Matter of fact, he got called out three times, right? Hey, do you know Jesus? No, not me. I don't know him. But he says, I was a, he reminds them that I, basically I, I walked with Christ. I was there at the beginning. I was there at the end. And being a witness in one, in one sense is, 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 is uh, physically seeing it and sharing what's happened. But how many know that you and I are witnesses of Christ's suffering as well? Which means that we give an account of what happened. We're going to tell people. He says, look, I am a fellow elder and I'm a witness of the suffering of Christ because he's been called to testify and bring the good news of what, of what Christ did for us. And we, we bear that same responsibility to be witnesses. But he wasn't exercising his authority as an apostle. Instead, he was appealing to them, letting them know that 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 he was much like them. And the truth is, is that when we look at all these positions and roles and, 
How many of you know that just because he was an apostle doesn't make him more important to God than you? Matter of fact, Paul said that God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care where you come from. Which We all have different roles and responsibilities, but neither one of us are any more important than the other. I'm not more important than anybody in this room just because I'm up here up front. God sees us. I have a different role. I have a different responsibility than you do. And I have to answer to God for what I've been called to do. Amen. But I'm not any better than anybody here. God doesn't love me more. I'm not a super saint. I'm just like you. I make the same mistakes. I, I fall just as often. I, I, I have the same struggles. And that's what, that's what Peter's saying. It's like, guys, I'm, I'm a fellow elder and a witness. I, I, he wanted to be relatable to these guys. And then he says, I'm a partake as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed along with these guys, the, the people that he's talking to, these elders. In chapter 4, uh, it says that he taught that those who share in Christ's sufferings will share in his glory. And how do we share in Christ's sufferings? By faith. We, 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 the, 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 the easy way to think of it is we were swapped out. Jesus took our place and he gave us his life. So when he died on the cross, how many know that you died on the cross at the same time? That old man is dead and gone. By faith, we share in his sufferings. And truthfully, if we share in them by faith, sometimes we share in them in real life as well. We, we might face, not, not might, the truth is we will face persecution at some point. Now, fortunately, in the United States, it's a little bit lighter than what they face elsewhere. And the truth is, is that this idea that we're going to share in the glory of Christ just like just like Peter and just like every other person in the church, anybody that believes. In Romans 8.17, Paul says the same thing. He says, And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, how do we do that again? By faith. We suffer with Him in order that we may be also glorified with Him. It's an amazing thing what Peter's doing here because um, particularly as elders, as leaders in the church, we need to, to understand that these are the guys we should be taking our cues from. And he's actually going to talk about it in the next verse, but we're not to be overbearing. We're not to be heavy-handing. We're not to, to, to put our foot down, but rather lead by example and, and relate to the people because we're no different than them. And he says, as a fellow worker in Christ, this instruction as I'm about to give to you applies just as much to me as it does to you. Amen? And then he goes on in 1 Peter 5, 2-4, he says, this is an instruction to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, as leaders in the church, we have a, a great responsibility to shepherd the flock well. You know, the Pastor Joseph and I and any other leaders in the church, John and Monique and Jessica, uh, helps us out a lot too. I mean, we have a responsibility to, to, to shepherd the flock, to make a difference. But the thing is, is that uh, when we're reading this, we need to understand this isn't just for the current leaders of the church. This instruction, this teaching, this applies to anybody who might one day become a leader as well. How I many of you should prepare beforehand before you step in the position? It's a lot easier to come into a position of authority and leadership prepared than to just be thrown in. Matter of fact, if you go back to, I believe it's in 1 Timothy, he may have said it to Titus as well, Paul reminds them that when you bring leaders in, they need to be mature. They need to understand, they need to be ready. You don't just throw someone young and immature into a position of leadership because that's when compromise happens. So this doesn't just go out to the, the handful of us that are currently uh, in a position of leadership in the church. This goes out to every single one of us because you never know what God has in mind for you. One of these, every single person here, God has a plan and purpose for your life. And you may be a leader one day. So you need to hear this just like any other leader would. You need to take this to heart as well because he's speaking to you as well. And it's not just the ones that might be leaders, but also particularly the ones who strive to be a leader in the church. And you know it's not a bad thing to want to be a leader in the church, to, to want to be a pastor, an evangelist, a, a teacher, any of those things. It's not a bad thing to do those things. 
as long as you're doing it for the right reasons. This is what uh, in Timothy 3.1, 1 Timothy 3.1, Paul said the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So it's not a, a bad thing to want to, to, to be a leader in the church. It's actually a noble task as long as your motives are pure, as it were. I mean, if you want to, to get up front just so you can say I'm up front, then you're missing the point. But if God puts desire in your heart to serve and to do something, then there's nothing wrong with wanting to strive to be what God called you to be. Amen? And then as a leader, the, the first thing he says is that we're to exercise oversight. How many know that most people don't like oversight exercised over them? That's a, it's a tough thing. You know, one of the things as leaders is that, that we have a responsibility to teach, to guide, and, and even correct you guys. That's one of our, our positions, our roles, is to, to do those things. Because we have a responsibility to be there for you. Just like when you have children, um, if you never discipline your children, you're not, you're not being there for them. You're actually setting them up for failure. You're not being good to them, you're actually setting them up to live their life with a different expectation of what the world actually looks like. One of the phrases that I hate the most, anybody ever heard that expression, oh, it's tough love? I hate, you know, like, oh, I'm punishing him, that's tough love. That's not tough love. It's just love. That's what love looks like. It's not tough love. That's just regular old love. When you care about somebody and you want to teach them and help them grow. You know, it's one of the areas that I actually struggle with the most as a pastor is sitting down and, and correcting people. It's, it's a difficult thing. I always wonder how it's going to be, you know, as a, uh, you know, when I'm in a position of, uh, of uh, authority in, a, in a, you know, a place where I work, I have the backing of the title and we're all paid and, and you know, there's, 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 there's a a real-world consequence behind if I, if I have to correct somebody and they don't follow through. But in the church, it's tough. I'm always afraid, like, what if I sit them down and say, this isn't right, and they all just bolt, then I'm left with no church, you know? But God is, it, I'm just telling you my mind. This is stuff that I think about. I, I, but, you know, one thing that God's been working on me with is, is, is asking, well, why are you doing it? You know, if, if, if you have somebody that wants to get into leadership and you need to address an area of giving or something, that was one of the, that's a hard one, addressing people about giving. You know, particularly if, if you're going to be in, in a position of leadership in the church, that's important that you're following all of those things. And to address people about those things, uh, one, that's a tough subject as it is, but I've had to be reminded, why are you doing it? I'm not addressing people about this stuff and correcting them about this stuff because we need more money in the church coffers. I'm doing it because it's better for them. Just like when you tell your kids, don't play out in the middle of the street. I'm not doing it because I want to be mean and not let them play. I'm doing it so I don't get hit by a car. It's good for them to not play in the street. So God is constantly working on me in that same situation. But it, doesn't, it still doesn't mean it's easy when we have to sit down and correct people. But that's, as leaders, that's one of our responsibilities is oversight. And Peter then says that when you're, 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 you're giving oversight, that you don't do it under compulsion, but willingly. You see, this is one of those things that... Have you ever been in a position where there are certain things that you have to do that you do it just because you have to? Not because you, you want to? Peter is addressing that in the leadership of the church right here. He says, he says that do it willingly, not under compulsion. You know, so I talk about it in giving all the time. I guess I'm going to talk about giving a lot today. So I always tell people, like, look, if you're giving out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of compulsion, don't even do it. It's not worth it. You're missing the point. And as a leader in the church, we should be coming alongside people and, 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 and shepherding them and guiding them because we want to, not because, like, I'm, I'm the pester. I guess I have to. Now, I'm not saying there's not moments that that happens. But for the most part, <laughs> I, I'm doing this willingly because this is what God wants me to do and I, I'm happy to do it. One of the things I, I want you to know that, that particularly for Michelle and I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I can speak for Joseph and Kathy and John and Monique, we're, we're not 
we're here because we want to be. We're not doing this because, because uh, you know, Pastor Joseph's not doing this because I got a gun to his head when you guys don't see. This is something that he wants to do. He wants to serve God. It's not out of compulsion, but he does it out of joy. And the same with Pastor Michelle and I is that, that we, we, we serve in this position out of a sense of joy, not compulsion. It's not a sense of duty. But there are so many people here that are so worried about inconveniencing us that they don't get what they need from us. There's so many people that they feel like they're inconveniencing us if they want to come and speak to us, if they want to come and, and, and get some advice or just have someone to pray with. Or, uh, there's so many, everyone's worried about inconveniencing us or offending us or making us upset. I want you to know that you guys don't have what it takes to offend us. <laughs> just to be honest with you. You know, there's... I know people that, that there's some people that struggle with offense. You know, we all have different areas uh, in our lives that, that, that are, are more difficult than others. We're tempted more than others. And I've known people that, that really struggle with offense. They really struggle with being offended. And, and uh, then they'll have er other areas of their life where they just seem to have no issue with that, that type of sin or temptation. You know, there's areas in our lives that, that, that we have to focus on, we, that we struggle with more. But offense is not one of them. Like, at most, you irritate me for a couple minutes and then I'm over it. Like, I, I don't get offended, so don't ever feel like that you can offend me or be afraid to come and speak to me. And it's not out of a sense of duty. I don't just do this because I, I feel like I have to. I do it because I love you guys. And I think I can speak for all the leaders in the church. This is why we're here. We offer our lives willingly. The sacrifices we're making, it's not out of, out of a sense of we have to, but because we want to. And for those of you who are aspiring to be leaders, keep this in mind as well. Because if you're aspiring to be a leader so you can look good, so you can stand up front and be recognized, you're missing the point and you're gonna, that's when you're going to do those other things under compulsion. It's not going to be because you're, you're doing it for the right reason. If it's the spotlight you desire and the rest seems like a burden, you might as well just quit now because... It won't be good for you. Even if you do somehow make your way in and you fake it for long enough, you're not going to, to last very long. You're going to be one of those ones when the, the going gets rough, you're out the door instead of pressing on because it's a calling. The truth is, there's so much more to being a leader in the house of God than to be up front with all eyes on you. And this doesn't just go for... You know, the pastors, the ones up here preaching. This goes for any position where you're out front, whether you're in the children's church teaching, whether you're on the worship team up front singing. If you're only up there so people can say, wow, they got a great voice, you're missing the point. Your purpose is to minister to the people in the congregation to help usher them in to worship. Not that you're glorified because you've got a great voice, but the gift that God has given you in a great voice should be to usher people into glorifying God who gave you that voice in the first place. And that goes for any position of leadership where you're up front. We don't do it for our own applaud. We do it for His applaud. Amen? And then he continues on and says, you're not to be domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. In other words, don't lord your position over them. That's one of the things we talked about in the first verse. Peter didn't lord his position over them. As a matter of fact, Paul does the same thing. I think it's in... Uh, uh, is it Jude where he's dealing with the, the, the slave? Philemon, yeah, Philemon. Philemon, Philemon. Philemon. Um, he says, look, he says, look, I want you to, 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 to overlook. Uh, he was with me this whole time. I want you to, to, to overlook for, for me because I could order you to do it because you owe me even your life but I'm appealing to you as a brother. There were great leaders, Paul and Peter. They never lorded their position over them, even though they had the right and authority to. And that's what he's saying here. Don't be domineering over those in your flock. Don't abuse your power, but instead lead by example. You know, one of the things as we talk about I can't get on to people and try to correct them if they're having some area in their life where they're living in sin if I'm going to do the same thing. I can't tell people, hey, you need to give if I'm not going to do the same thing. I can't tell people, hey, I could really use you in here helping in these different areas if I wasn't willing to do the same thing. We have to lead by example. 
And that's something that, that uh, Pastor Michelle and I have, to, have tried to do. I mean, there's so many times we've talked about not wanting to do something and, and, and we'll say, but if we don't do it, how can we expect somebody else to? So we step up, we make the sacrifice, and we continue to press on because we want to be an example to you of people that are willing to give their life to Christ, to, to the service of His kingdom, regardless of the cost. And I don't want to, to lie to you, there is a cost involved in serving God. Matter of fact, he says that uh, uh, we're, we're unwise if we go into, uh, a king who goes into battle without considering the cost is actually unwise. Do consider the cost because there is a cost for serving. I just want you to know it's worth it. Even when it, it's hard and it's tough, it's worth it. Because the truth is, is that being an elder or a leader in the church, it isn't easy. You have to have the right motives. You have to fully rely on God for your strength. When I first uh, was, was, was talking about becoming a pastor, and oh man, I tell you what, your idea of what a pastor is, I'm telling you right now, unless you've been one, every single person in this church, your idea of what a pastor is and what a pastor does is wrong. I'll just tell you that right now. Because I know what I thought it was going to be until I became one. You know, so many people think that this is the biggest part of my job to be up front preaching on a Sunday morning. Even I did. You know, I was like, how am I going to... Just like you with the same hang-ups and, and insecurities and, you know, when you're thinking about stuff. You know, I remember when I started, like, how am I going to come up with a message every single day? Like, every week? Like, this is crazy. Like, how am I... This is... Now, you know, God has, has enabled me to do it and it's not a huge deal. But I remember in the beginning, I was so... Because this was what being a pastor was. And this... How am I going to do... This is so... And my pastor said, dude, preaching is the least of what you're going to be doing. And, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a young man, I, I said yes, but in my head I knew he was wrong. <laughs> and uh, he wasn't. This is the least of, of what I do as a pastor. You know, so many people think, oh, a pastor just works Sunday morning. No, but I work all the time. This is, this is, this is when I get a break. <laughs> but I've heard it said that if you want to be a pastor... If you can do anything else, do it. That's a weird, that didn't make sense to me. That's a weird, what do you mean if I can do anything else? Of course I can do something else. But the truth is I can't do anything else. I understand what Paul meant when he said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I've been called to this. I can't do anything else. But that's the thing is that if you can do anything else, do it because being a leader in the church is not easy. I don't want you to feel sorry for me or think that I'm somehow up here. Like, it's worth it. And, and when you're called to do something, how I many know that God's going to supply and meet every need? He's going to make sure that you're able to do it. If I were up here trying to do this on my own, if, if this wasn't what I was called to do, I was just a hireling, I would have left a long time ago when we were much smaller. And the funny thing is, is when you're small, you think that uh, if we just get bigger, it'll be easier. It doesn't get easier. Man, all my preconceived notions of being a pastor, they've been wrong this whole time. But God is good, and He's getting me through everything. Giving me strength. And that's the thing. If you'll persevere, it doesn't go unnoticed. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And I want you to understand that that's not why we do it. But God honors those who are serving. God honor, He understands that it's not easy. He understands that it was tough. He understands you're going to face things. And He honors you for it. So we don't do it for this. If you're doing it for this, once again, that's the wrong reason. You actually never make it to the end. And now, He gives that all-important structure, structure, instruction to the younger. Likewise, to you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this is that instruction that's so difficult. Truth is, it's not just the younger. We all have problems with this instruction. But he says, to you who are younger, a simple instruction, be subject to your elders. Now, the problem with this, as younger people receiving this, this instruction, and I know because I was there, 
Like I just told you a few minutes ago, my, my pastor, the one who was an elder to me, told me something and I, I nodded on the outside but disagreed on the inside. I, I get it. But that the thing is, is that if, if a young person is wise, they'll actually submit to those in authority over them. Uh, over them. They'll actually learn from the elders. For those who are uh, not only in leadership in the church, but anybody who's more spiritually mature than they are, they, they should be, uh, really, all of you guys who, who have, have been Christians for a while, you guys should be so sick of the young people trying to learn from you. You should be so sick, I mean... Th- they should be coming to you every moment they can to try to learn, to get a hold of, of what you've already learned, what you've already experienced. The way you laughed, I realized it must not be happening. But it should be. Every young person should be knocking on people's doors. You awake yet? Can you teach me something today? I, I want to learn. I want to grow. You see, that's the thing is that we... When you're younger, you don't know everything, even though you think you do. And it's, I'm not just talking to teenagers. I'm talking to, to young adults. And I'm talking to those who are spiritually young as well. You can be 60 years old and just get saved, and you need to submit to the elders in the church because you've got stuff to learn. You may all know all about your 401k, but you, you haven't learned about your, 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 your real inheritance yet. So much to be learned from other people. And, and I'm not ashamed to say that not even that long ago, I had to be reminded that, that when you're sitting with people that have been in the kingdom of God for a long time, they've been leading and teaching and they've been getting it done for years, that uh, I had to be reminded that this is when you, you shut up and listen. They don't, you know, this isn't a time where you should, you should really feel like you want to get out what you want to say to them, but instead listen to what they have to say to you. So when I say to the younger, it doesn't just mean those young in age, but it's so any time that you're in a position to glean from somebody else because they're more mature than you, do it. Don't miss those opportunities. And then after he addresses the, those who are younger, then he says all of you. Now he's addressing the entire church. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We need to be humble towards one another. You know, an easy way to do that is just consider everyone else as more important than yourself. That's just the easiest way to do it. But one of the, the biggest mistakes we can make, even as elders in the church, is to not be humble. Even for those who are spiritually mature, you should still be humble. One of the uh, common arguments for young people to say is the old people never listen to me. They don't want to hear my ideas. They don't want to hear what we have to say. And they should have a voice. Sometimes we need to listen to them as well. You want to know what the solution to that is? Everybody just be humble. If, if everyone will just stop considering themselves as more important than everybody else, stop considering themselves as the know-all, end-all, be-all, then we would see a different thing happening. If we were to just consider one another as we lived our lives, I think we'd see a huge difference. So don't ever let yourself, whether you're young or old, get caught in a position where you know better than everybody else. And when we're humble towards one another, God's grace is with us. He gives grace to the humble. It's probably because you need it when you're being humble sometimes, especially if you're the one being humble and somebody else hasn't quite got the message yet. You need grace. But if you're not going to be humble, God's going to oppose you. Who wants to be opposed by God? Yeah, not me. The truth is, is that whether you're young or you're old, if you're going to live pridefully, you're going to fall. Amen? We're at verses 6-7. through seven. And then he continues, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So the first one is to humble ourselves to one another. Now he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. You recall that at the end of chapter 4, we were dealing with judgment and persecution and how we're not supposed to be surprised when that comes against us. But the problem that we run into, I think particularly in the United States, is that we all think it could never happen to us. 
I mean, really in the United States, like we hear about persecution in other countries, but we really don't have any idea of what that means. And we think that, oh, that could never happen here. We've got laws and stuff in place. We've got things. In, I mean, that could never ha- happen here. And, and we really, we have it so good that we think that nothing will ever change. And you know what that probably means? That we're not prepared. That we're not ready. That when things come, are we going to fall apart? Or are we going to be in a position that we can persevere through these things and that's where peter's doing he's wrapping up this letter to the to the entire church i want to help you be prepared for what's coming you remember he says don't be surprised when the fire trials come let's wrap it up and let me help you be prepared and he reiterates once again be humble how many times how many know that when you hear something repeated in the Bible, it's probably good to take note of it. It's good to listen. One, be humble to one another, and then be humble under the hand of God. This means to be submitted to God. This means to let Him lead. Too many of you guys have God ruling your life on the side of you, or maybe just a little bit behind you. You only have God step in when things are going bad, but when things are going good, I got this, God. But we need to be submitted to God in every moment of our life, in every area, to let Him lead in our lives. And this time we see that if we will let Him do that, that He's going to exalt us at the proper time. You see, the last verse said that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But this one, now we see even worse, that, uh, see even more, more detailed that if we're not submitted to God, if we're not acting humbly under God's hand, then it limits His ability to operate and work in our lives to exalt us. And sometimes that takes time. We have to live in submission, sometimes even dealing with fire trials the whole time so that at the end, if we will be humble and live submitted to God, that He will exalt us at the proper time. And we see this all through the Bible. I mean, imagine you're David. And uh, you get pulled out of the field. You know, you're, I mean, you're, you're thought of so far down the list, you didn't even get called in to see the prophet. The prophet says, hey, we have somebody else here? So oh, yeah, my, my son, he's out in the field. We didn't think you'd want to see him though. So they bring him in. He says, you're going to be king. And then what happens? I mean, it was immediate, right? I mean, they put a robe on him. They took him straight to... The... Oh, it must be a different Bible that that happened. What happened was is they say, okay, you're going to be king. And I get back out to the sheep. And he continued to, to serve in the shepherd of his, of his father's field. And then he shows up to the battle and defeats Goliath. And then he spends time playing music for Saul. And then Saul tries to kill him. You want to know why? They, they've actually done some research and determined that the reason Saul through a spirit, David, is that he was actually playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. <laughs> so they were, they were pretty upset. He was pretty upset with him. <laughs> so, so now David's trying to, Saul's trying to kill him while he's right there. And then finally, David has to take off. And he goes through this whole time being submitted to God. Had any of us gone through that? I mean, most of us, we pray for something. If, you know, we pray for something on Monday. If it hasn't happened by Monday evening, we're like, where are you at, God? God tells us something, and any moment of time goes by, and we're already, we're already thinking, oh, maybe I misheard, or something didn't, didn't happen the way I expected it to. But, but David is having to be humble and submitted this entire time. And finally, when does it happen? At the proper time, David is exalted. And he's placed where God wants him to be. You know, it was 40 years before God used Moses to deliver the Israelites. Joseph was humbled as a prisoner and a slave before he was finally exalted to the number two person in charge in Egypt, just second only to Pharaoh. And Paul, he was literally knocked on his butt and blinded before he was used by God, because he had to be humble. He had to finally submit to, 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 you know what, we look at that and we're like, wow, that's an amazing thing that happened. I want you to know, you don't want to be knocked on your butt by God, so you'll listen. You should probably do it of your own free will. 
then in addition to that, he says, be humble and submitted to God so that at a proper time that he may exalt you. And that just know that if you're not going to do that, then God isn't going to be able to use you the way he intended to use you. And then he says, then cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We're to submit to him and we're to trust him. And most of you guys suck at this. He says, cast your anxieties on him, and you're like, no thanks, I'll just keep them. <laughs> or some of you are like, okay, God, I give this to you. And you, yeah, maybe not. And you go back and get it. <laughs> Take your anxiety with you. You see, we, so many of us try to handle our stuff ourselves instead of just trusting God. And, and the, the problem with this is that when we do this, not only do we not fix the problem, but we almost always just make it worse. Instead of putting our faith in Him, allowing Him to fight our battles, allowing Him to deal with these things, we start digging in. We start trying to handle things ourselves. We try, start trying to, to, to butt in and make a difference. And ultimately, we don't get any kind of freedom and it just makes it worse. But God cares about you. He says, give it to me. Let me deal with it. Let me get you through it. Quit trying to do it on your own. And the truth is, is you all know this. You guys can look back in your life and see when you tried to do it on your own, what happened. But we don't learn. That's why Peter says, I am exhorting you. I'm strongly urging you to do the, give your anxieties to God. The thing is, when you'll do that, the number one thing I know about God is that He's faithful. And if he said it, he will do it. If you're struggling in it, now I'm not talking about don't be wise. Like we, st we still need to work. We still need to, to be respectful to people. We need to work on our relationships. We, need, we still need to do all these. We need to be wise. But we need to stop thinking it's only us that's going to get it done. Start giving it to God and trust him to work in your life. And then in verses 8-9, through nine, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. That phrase again. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now we've seen this. This is the third time he's told us to be sober-minded. That means to keep your wits about you, to be watchful, to don't get distracted by other things. Don't let something else overtake and cloud your judgment and your thinking. And even though we are to give our cares to God, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to be stupid. That we're supposed to be stupid. We still have to be wise. He says, "Look, give your cares to God, give your anxieties to Him, because He cares about you. But still, be watchful, because there's a devil out there that has a different agenda than God. We need to keep our wits about us. We need to be careful not to be deceived by an enemy that's coming in trying to tell us something." When, when they come in and start whispering, so-and-so's doing this, so-and-so's doing that. Where are they at right now? Why is this happening? Oh, you're going to get fired. We start getting all these things in our head because we're not being watchful of what an enemy's, the enemy is trying to do. and he's, We're being deceived. We listen to voices in our head. We listen to other people's voices that we should have no business listening to. Because there is an enemy out there. He's on the prowl. The, the devil and his, his, his army of demons, uh, they're real. If, 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 uh, the, the supernatural is real. And we have, but the great part about it is we have complete authority over the devil. If we'll be watchful, how many of you know you can't tell him to, to, to flee from you if you don't even know he's there? Because you're not being watchful, you're not being sober-minded, or you've let yourself become so deceived, or you're so caught up in your own anxieties and fears that you're not looking to God anymore. But we have the authority to resist Him. We have the authority to tell Him to flee. We can stand firm and not give up and tell Him to go. James 4.7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Sounds kind of like this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, or submit yourself to God. And resist the devil. Here it says, resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's the other thing that we get ourselves into is we think we're the only ones going through this. How many of you know that you want to know what it's called? Family church? Because we're a family. 
We walk alongside one another. We want to support one another. We want to be there for one another. And if any of you are going through something, you are not unique in doing it. Knowing that others are facing... You need to know that others are facing the same challenges, but they're persevering because they put their trust in God. And you should be doing the same. But if you isolate yourself if you separate yourself off, if you never tell anybody you need help, if you never tell anybody what's going on, you end up, you're like the the wounded gazelle that's off away from the herd. How many know they're the one that gets killed by the lion first? Don't be a wounded gazelle. Stay with the herd. Stay with the pack. Get help from people here. Get support. You're not the only one going through it. Nobody here is going to judge you because most of us have gone through it as well. You're not unique. And you're not weak. You're not helpless. You're not alone. Unless you pull yourself off. So be sober-minded and watchful. Keep an eye out for an enemy trying to attack you. Don't let yourself be deceived. And know that you're not the only one going through a thing. And then he says, in verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He doesn't say, God's going to remove your suffering. Sometimes we're going to suffer. Sometimes we're going to go through it. Matter of fact, it says, after you have suffered a little while. What it does say is, God won't let your suffering continue forever. How many of that's good news? God's not causing your suffering, but He'll certainly use it to make an impact in your life to help strengthen and grow you. To work that faith muscle a little bit. See, so many of us don't even want our faith muscle to ever be worked. Like, I wish I had faith like that person. But anytime an opportunity comes up for us to have faith, we run away. You've got to work that muscle out. Continue to have faith so it grows and perseveres. And He says, after you have suffered a little while, not... Not you won't suffer, but you will suffer a little while. The God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory. You know, that's good news that God has called you to His eternal glory. You know, the stuff that we're dealing with on earth, no matter how bad it is, is, is so temporary in the scheme of things. One of the greatest definitions I ever heard of, of or, or example of describing eternity would be like having a solid marble ball the entire size of the earth and having an eagle fly around this marble ball and every one time around he dropped down and he brushed it with his wings. When the earth had been ground down to the size of a regular marble, that's just the beginning of eternity. The, 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 what we live now is such a small thing and we're called to His eternal glory in Christ. Trust me, church, no matter how bad it was, even if He wouldn't eventually rescue you after you've suffered a little while, this is still so small in the scheme of things. But the Bible says that, you know what? After you've suffered a little while, after you've spent time there, after you've grown a little bit, after you've persevered, after you've stayed sober-minded and watchful, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore you. God Himself will restore you. And then it says He will confirm you. Basically, you're going to get that confirmation that I wasn't doing all this in vain. God was always there. And then it says that He'll strengthen you. And it's good news that God's going to strengthen you. I couldn't do anything that I'm doing now without God's strength. And then it goes on to say He's going to establish you. You know, when they introduce a, a, a new species in, or a, a, a species or an animal into to an area, when they first release some, some breeding pairs or whatever, it's not established at first. It's still fragile. It could still be, if any one of them were killed, you know, the whole balance could be broken and the, 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 the species couldn't propagate. It couldn't go ahead and become part of that ecosystem. But when they say something has become established, that means that it can't be knocked down anymore. It means that no matter what happens, it's going to persevere. No matter what happens, that, that species is going to keep on thriving there. God's going to establish you so that you can persevere. There's not something that come, can come and knock you down. That means you're going to have roots. You're going to have a foundation that you can stand on that's not blown around by wind and waves. You'll be in a position of strength. This is how Paul put it in Romans 5, 3-5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings 
knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. You know, when we go through these things, we, we grow and we're strengthened and then God lifts us up and puts us on a solid footing, solid foundation, and then establishes us. And then it goes on, because to Him be the dominion forever and ever. Dominion is just the power or right of governing. It is uh, rule, control. It's, it's basically saying that God's in control. You know why God can do this? Because He's in control. Because God is the one on the throne. We'd be do well to remind ourselves of this, is that you know what? God's on the throne. When you're a Christian, you've, ex- you, you've, you've given God permission to work in your life. Now, people that aren't Christians, God is a perfect gentleman and He stays out of it. But when you've given Him permission to work in your life and you've admitted that He is on the throne, that He is your Lord and your Savior, He's the one that has power and dominion in your life and He will move in your life if you will just be humble, trust and submit to Him. And this isn't just hypothetical because I've seen it in my life. I've seen it happen. And I know that He will get you through every situation because He has the power to restore. He has the power to confirm and strengthen and establish and He will do it if you'll put your trust in Him. Amen? And then we'll end in verses 12-14. through By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you our greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. As always, when the, the apostles write their letter, they always end with a nice greeting, and you always see their heart when they're speaking. You know, Peter, Paul, all the apostles, they truly loved the saints that they were ministering to. They cared about them. And this whole letter was actually a letter of encouragement. And the truth is, is that even though suffering is going to come, even though we're going to face trials, God is going to get us through it. We are blessed and we're able to persevere. So church, I just want to encourage you. Let's be a people who are sober-minded and watchful. Let's be a people that aren't unaware of the schemes of the enemy, but actually be prepared to stand and resist him. Let's be a people that stand together knowing that we're not alone. And the Scripture says that God will exalt you, that He will establish you. And like Peter says, this is the true grace of God. Let's stand firm in it. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.